Amen. Thank you so much this morning for that beautiful singing, There Is a Fountain. I really appreciated that. You sounded like one big choir. It was wonderful. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. And while you're doing that, I'd like to bring your attention to the word rest in that verse. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Uh, you look at the title in the bulletin of my message today, it says, Attaining the New Testament Sabbath Rest. What in the world or in heaven is that? Do I want it? How do I get it? What is it? Well, the New Testament Sabbath Rest is a name I've chosen. Blame me if I misrepresent something. It's a name I've chosen for the word rest in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. The New Testament Sabbath Rest. Now, we're going to talk more about it, but to get everybody up to date and make things as clear as we possibly can, let me tell you what the New Testament Sabbath rest is. The New Testament Sabbath rest is a level of maturity in the Christian faith, a, a, a level of maturity that is, uh, that is mature, that, that has grown, that has come to the point where it is able to take a stand and is able to go from trouble and, and persecution and, and harsh words and walk away and rejoice. It, it, it is a rest. It is a rest where we can serve the Lord and not be swayed back and forth by every wind of doctrine, but can stand firm being established in the basic doctrines of the Christian faith in our love for the Lord Jesus Christ, in our commitment to serve him no matter what. That's what the New Testament Sabbath rest is. Father in heaven, help us today as we examine what you have to say to us about acquiring the New Testament Sabbath rest. And help us to understand clearly from your word what you wish to communicate in this day. I thank you for your answered prayers in my life. I thank you for strength. I pray you give me strength as I preach, accuracy, precision, that we might go forth challenged to aspire to the New Testament Sabbath rest as we serve you in this week. In Jesus' name, amen. If you look at our text today, beginning in verse 10, uh, chapter 4, verses 10 and 11 represent one lesson in acquiring the faith to experience the New Testament Sabbath rest. Verse 12 is the second, and verse 13 is the third. I'd like to read those verses to you now if you give your attention to God's Word, beginning in verse 9. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God, for he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, 
but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. As we look at this text, and we look at the sermons, messages we've given beginning a couple, three weeks ago in chapter 3, verse 7, we've been talking about the rest of God called my rest in various ways God refers to it, but it's the rest of God all through these verses until we get to verse 9. And verse 9 is the climax. It is the pivot point in this discussion about rest because it is a different rest than has been discussed in the previous verses. And so I want to look at that and look at this capstone verse and understand it a little bit better. Remember now, we are looking at a letter that was given to us for our admonition and observation, but was written specifically to Hebrew Christians. That's Israelite people, Hebrew people, who got saved and received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And we've talked about it before, but you remember they had to give up an awful lot to enter into the Christian faith. It was very different, though the same God. But for them, you would hardly think it was the same God because it was so different. And one of those issues that was so different was the Sabbath. They have been taught. Now remember, Israel as a nation aren't all saved people. If you were an Israelite, you may be saved or you may be unsaved, but you got indoctrinated the same way all through your growing up years. And you conformed or you were cut off or put out of the camp of Israel, whether you were saved or unsaved. Okay, so this is going out to uh, these people, all of whom, some of which were maybe saved and, and then got, got renewed that uh, salvation as they came into the Christian faith, others that got saved first time uh, in, in the Christian faith. Now, you get saved lots of times, but you understand what I mean. And uh, they have this Hebrew background. And they have drilled into them instruction from God recorded in his word. I want you to notice this. Exodus chapter 31, verse 17. I'm going to go through there quickly, but if you want to turn to it, have time. God says to his people that the Sabbath day is a sign between me and the children of Israel. A sign between me and the children of Israel. Forever. How does this young Hebrew who's grown up being taught that the Sabbath is a sign of the relationship between God and Israel forever adjust to the fact that he is not to practice the Sabbath as he comes into the New Testament church? That's a lot to bite off. Notice secondly, Exodus chapter 31, verse 14. Ye shall, God speaking, Ye shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy unto you. Everyone that defileth it shall surely be put to death. It was a serious matter to not observe the Sabbath day. The nation went into captivity, you remember, for 70 years to make up for the 490 days day weeks of not observing the sabbath like they were supposed to it was a serious thing 
Numbers 15, 32 to 35 records for us, just reading uh, a condensed version of that passage, how serious it really was. It says, They found a man that gathered sticks upon the Sabbath day. And they that found him gathering sticks brought him unto Moses and Aaron unto all the congregation, and they put him in ward or in prison, because it was not declared what should be done to him. And the Lord said, no hesitation in the Lord's decision, and the Lord said unto Moses, The man shall be surely put to death for violating the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day was serious business to the Old Testament Jew. And now he comes into the church and he reads the New Testament and he finds in principle all the Ten Commandments recorded in the New Testament except one. And he's not commanded to observe the Sabbath anymore. In fact, the followers of Jesus are not observing the Sabbath anymore. They are observing the Lord's Day, which is the day after the Sabbath, which is Sunday, which is the memorial of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The church celebrates on Sunday the resurrection of the memorial of Jesus Christ. Now, we still have some churches, if you want to call, not cults, organizations that practice uh, the Sabbath of some sorts. Some make it a, a vital part of their faith that they observe the Saturday Hebrew Sabbath, and in fact, they don't come close to observing what God's Word requires you to do if you're truly observing that Sabbath. It's a smokescreen. It's a smokescreen used by cultists to hold control over their people. And there are then two Christian churches, we will call them Reformed churches, who hold to a Christian Sabbath. By Christian Sabbath, they mean that the Sabbath has been moved from Saturday to Sunday, and this is the Christian Sabbath. No, this is not the Christian Sabbath. This, the Sabbath is not to do with the church, it's to do with Israel. It was a sign between God and Israel, not God and the church. We don't practice a Sabbath. This is not a Christian Sabbath today, it's the Lord's Day. It's a great day celebrating the resurrection of the Savior who took us away and released us from the death call of the law. Hard to take. Hard to take. You think about the traditions your family has for Christmas or Easter, special holidays. Lots of warm memories. So did they for the Sabbath. Special day. Fully endorsed by God. But now it has been set aside. Only temporarily, I might say. Because when we read about Jesus and Matthew, we find that during the tribulation period, they're talking about the Sabbath again. Why? Well, because God moves back into his Israel, Israel program during the tribulation, not church, Israel program. And so the Sabbath comes back into view. But in this New Testament church era we live in, there is no Sabbath. Now, we look at these verses we've been studying for the last couple of weeks, and I hope we have a little bit more clarity in, and we find that it keeps talking about rest. Rest, 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 rest. And we keep trying to figure out all these different rests and what they mean and how they fit together and what it says about them and how that, it's, it's, like, a, uh, it's like a puzzle for a law school test examination. 
They give them all these stories and accounts, and you've got to sort them out and do the logic on them. Except it's, it's hard to ever get the logic to settle out. But in the parts we've preached on up to verse 9, the word for rest has just been rest. There's reference to God's resting after creation on the seventh day, but there's no talk there about Sabbath. There's just a talk there about entering into God's rest. Entering into God's rest. All of a sudden, in verse 9, there pops in a new word. A new word pops into the discussion, and it sets the Hebrew back on his heels. I, I said I'd never do this again, but I'm going to do it anyway. I got, I got to communicate the beauty of this to you. The word for rest in the Greek language has been used all down through this narrative is katapausin, katapausin. Now, you don't have to learn that word or anything. I just want to make a point. Katapausin. It means to rest from work, to cease labor and rest, and be refreshed thereby. That's the kind of rest that was being talked about in all these verses up to nine, verse 9. This word only appears here in Hebrews. This word for rest, and maybe one place in one place in Acts, but pretty exclusively here. And as we go down through the text, we keep reading about this rest, catapousin, 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 and then we get to verse nine, and all of a sudden, sabbatismos pops in. Sabbatismos pops in. What does sabbatismos sound like to you? Sounds like Sabbath to you? It has the word for Sabbath in a compound word. Sabbath, Sabbath, Sabbatismus. This is a new word. This is a change. This hits the Hebrew, Hebrew believer who's, who's kind of being pulled back into Judaism because of the Sabbath, a lot of other things. He's addressing the Sabbath here, really, in, in retrospect. It's, all of a sudden, whoa, wait, lights start flashing. What is this? God is talking about a Sabbath rest in the Christian faith of the New Testament church. What possibly can that be? Well, I've already told you what it is. Let me say that again. It is not a day of the week. It is not a day of the week. It is a spiritual maturity that can be attained by a believer through faith and subsequently go on even forever into eternity. This is a, a coined word that uh, the author of Hebrews used here. We, uh, in the Old Testament, we had all these different concepts of rest, but they were imperfect and they were incomplete. And now in the New Testament, we have this Sabbath rest that is beyond anything we've known before. And so the author of Hebrews made up this word. This word does not appear in Greek literature any time before it appeared here. It doesn't appear anywhere in the Bible except here. And uh, it doesn't appear, it does appear, though, in the writings of the rabbis and others after it appeared here in the Bible. And as it came to be commonly used, it was thought of as a day of rest or a, a concentrated 
not on the cessation of labor or work, but upon a day, and this was the original idea of God in the Old Testament Sabbath, a day that could be set aside to rejoice and celebrate the wonderful God that we have, the Creator God, the God of Israel, the God of the church, to, to, to celebrate Him continually. And so we have a word here that talks about a level of spiritual maturity that can handle trouble, that by God's grace and mercy can stand up under pressure, that isn't wavering back and forth, that's aggressive to serve Christ, that has a relationship with God and has a spirit of rejoicing in his service to God. Wouldn't it be great to have that? Wouldn't it be great to have that? To be able to go forth, never, oh, be tempted to be intimidated, but be able to defeat it, not be threatened, not grow weary. There's some examples in Scripture. I've given you a couple of these before of individuals that were living in the realm of the Sabbath, New Testament, Sabbath rest, the New Testament Sabbath rest. Acts chapter 5, verse 40. When they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Would you be intimidated? Would you preach in the name of Jesus? Would you go back to Harrison School? They went there tomorrow and threw you on jail and then let you out next Monday or Tuesday. They forbid them, should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the consul rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus. You see the elements of the Sabbath rest? Rejoicing and moving on in the work of the Lord without hesitation. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34 speaks of a group of people who uh, the writer says took joyfully the spoiling of their goods. Before their very eyes, those who wished to persecute them and deprive them took their physical livelihood that they had accumulated around them to live day by day the things that they enjoyed, the things that they needed, they spoiled them, they took them. Acts 16, 23 and following. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison and thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. That's the New Testament Sabbath rest developing your faith to enter into a rest that totally depends upon and places you in Christ. It is attained by faith, but without faith, it is impossible, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Well, we look at chapter 4, verse 10. Chapter 4, verse 10. 
For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Now, I understand, although this is a different word, this is the original word for rest, anapausen, that, uh, that it's referring by virtue of the context, and if you put all the texts all together, it's referring to that Sabbath rest that was just mentioned in the previous verse. He has put his faith in Christ concerning the salvation rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, remember, we said, Come unto me, Jesus said, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. By the way, there's a third word used for rest there. The rest that's used in Jesus' invitation is a rest that's more of a general rest that covers everything. The rest that's talked about in the first part of chapter 4 of Hebrews is a rest that comes after work that brings refreshment. And of course, the Sabbath rest is a rest that's based on a spiritual maturity. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Seeking to be righteousness in and of ourselves is over. Now Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. We simply come in faith, putting our trust in Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection provided the payment for our sin, and we may have that salvation by putting our saving faith, our simple faith, in the fact that that's true. The necessary qualification for entering into the New Testament Sabbath rest is having the faith that brings salvation. Did you hear that? The necessary qualification, it says, for he that has entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. A person that has entered into this Sabbath rest has ceased from his own works as God did from his. In other words, he ceased from working and working and working to try to please God and try to get uh, in with God and into heaven by his own works. He ceased that, and he's trusting the Lord now. He's saved. And uh, it says, for he that is entered into his rest... That, that requires that he has ceased from his own works. He has to be saved. But look at the next verse, verse 11. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Wait a minute. We don't labor to be saved. If the sabbatical rest were the state of salvation, we wouldn't be able to say that because we don't strive to be saved. Uh, it says here, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the example of unbelief. We enter, we enter here into specifically into the three lessons that we talked about before. It's interesting as we look back through here that in chapter 3, verse 12, it says, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Then we turn the page over in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. And now we come to chapter 4, verse 11, and it says, Let us labor. So we have these, these three challenges. Let us, uh, let us heed let us fear, let us strive. That's pretty rounded admonition on what to do as you seek 
the faith, the kind of faith that will allow you to be in the face rest life of the New Testament. It is a matter of heeding God, listening, taking heed, stop, examine yourself. It's a matter of having appropriate fear about all that's taking place. And uh, we look back at the Old Testament and we look at the example that was used for all this discussion here of not getting into God's rest because you didn't believe. And we, we find, just let me review quickly for you some selected texts on what happened in the Old Testament that is the, the picture of this. It says in Numbers 14, 19 following, I beseech thee the iniquity of this people. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word, but as truly as I live, this is after they had provoked him, as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers. Neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. Your carcasses shall fall in the, in the wilderness." This was after he forgave them. There were physical consequences to their sin because it reached the point of provocation in God. This is serious business. We, 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 we should be striving for the New Testament faith rest because if we're not, we're very likely moving in the wrong direction toward a point that could bring us into the judgment of God. Heed. Fear, strive, strive. Well, what is that all about? Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief that we just read about. The word for labor there isn't an emphasis upon work necessarily. It's more of an it's more of a, a idea of make haste. Don't waste any time getting busy. It's a matter of exerting oneself. Don't worry about working too hard. Be willing to give your all. It's a matter of giving diligence. It is a matter of putting on the yoke of the Lord Jesus Christ in Christian service. The yoke. What did he say? My burden is light. And I will give you rest. Put on my yoke. In the first one, remember, in verse 28, he says, come unto me and I will give you rest. That's unconditional. That's salvation. He says, take on my yoke and learn of me. That is growth. That is the way we grow, by striving in the yoke of the Lord Jesus Christ. We take his yoke upon us and it says, learn of me. A man must put on the yoke and labor with the Lord. So our first lesson is the faith to experience the New Testament Sabbath rest does not come by idleness, but by striving in the yoke together with Christ. You don't grow your faith by being idle. You grow your faith by going out and stepping out for the Lord and seeing him work in your life and the lives of others as you step out and strive for him in his yoke, following his leadership, pulling with him, not in your own strength, not for your own glory, but for his strength and his glory. 
And as you do that, he grows your faith. As you see different experiences in your life, as you strive in the yoke with Christ. The faith to experience a New Testament Sabbath rest does not come by idleness, but by striving in the yoke together with Christ. Do little things. Remember the Lord promised? You may not be able to do a lot. Maybe do a lot of little things. God promised to do, to do little things, and I'll put you in charge of big things. Apply godly principles regularly. No labor for the Lord is in vain. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, 1 Corinthians 15, 8. Well, we turn our attention to the second lesson, chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Number two lesson. The faith needed to experience the New Testament Sabbath rest requires the word of God to allow us to see ourselves as God sees us. This verse we quote often. We quote it often. But it's very introspective. But before we go there, just remember this. Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Where do we learn of Christ? In the Bible. It's the only infallible and inerrant record of our Savior's life in the Bible. That's how we learn of him. That's how we grow our faith to enter into the New Testament Sabbath rest, remember? The rest where we're not blowing around in winds of doctrine. Rest where in the midst of trouble and trial we can be happy and rejoicing by turning to the Word of God. Let's look at the sword. It's quick, first of all. It's living. It's able to impart life. It's active. It's powerful. The word for powerful is in the Greek energis or energy. It energizes. It energizes us in our faith. It is able to transform us. It is so powerful. It is sharper. Not as sharp as, but sharper. Able to make a clean cut in any direction as it moves to our lives. Any area of our lives. Would be our personal life, our married life, our public life, our work life. It's sharp, and it's able to make a clean cut in any direction as it moves. It's kind of hard sometimes, you know. Most of the times when we examine things, there's complicating factors that muddy the waters, and we have trouble getting rid of all the various factors and getting to the core of the matter. That's what the Word of God does. It, it, it's sharp. It cuts clean. It's piercing. It cuts to the heart of the matter. It gets right to the point. And that's what we need to have the kind of faith that is required to move into the New Testament Sabbath rest. A faith that is uh, purified by the Word of God, piercing and cutting to the heart of the matter. Now, that's the characteristics of the sword. But as we go on to these other statements, we find the work of the sword. We have the characteristics of the sword, which we just mentioned, quick, powerful, sharper, piercing. Now we come to the work of the sword in our lives. And notice that 412 is written in very personal terms. We quote this often in a very general sense to, to cite the value of the Word of God, and that's okay. 
but uh, this really addresses it specifically in a personal way, speaking of the body, a person in the illustration. First and foremost in the illustration here is the emphasis on the fact that it can reveal to us very fine distinctions. Soul and spirit. Uh, the theologians have fought for centuries over what's the soul and what's the spirit. The words are used interchangeably in the scripture. Sometimes in place of one or the other and with other words. It's hard to understand. Sometimes teachers have broken them down as if it was clearly one thing or another, but the scriptures really don't support that idea. Although even I found it sometimes helpful to think of it that way, but the scriptures show that it's a very, very difficult. And uh, the, the Bible is, it says, our, divides asunder. That Greek word means to bring to the point where they meet and be able to understand one from the other at that very delicate position. Joints and marl. Uh, I used to think of that as bones and marl, but actually it is strictly joints in the Greek. And uh, it's, that, I think, is discerning in our walk in the world. The soul and spirit is discerning in the spiritual walk of our lives. Our relationship to God. Our relationship to God in our service. And then joints and marl, discernment in our walk in the world. Uh, joints speak of movement, motion, and uh, marl speaks of the, the inner part of the bone that produces the blood cells that give life. But even then, between bone and marrow is a very undescript division point. It's hard to tell when one ends and the next begins. It's a transition. But the Word of God can make those decisions. It's a discerner. That means judge. Thinking, reasoning, considering, and intense. That's what's decided upon in the thinking process. It's able to discern those things. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Would you turn there? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Do you desire the milk of the word of God? That is a key part of having the faith and developing the faith to rest in the New Testament Sabbath rest that is offered to God's people. The faith to experience the New Testament Sabbath rest requires the Word of God to allow us to see ourselves as God sees us. Thirdly, the faith needed to experience the New Testament Sabbath rest must be genuine, not pretentious. It must be genuine, not pretentious. God cannot be fooled. God cannot be misled, deceived, or have hidden from him anything. It is impossible to hide the state of your faith from God. What are you thinking about in the privacy of your mind that you think nobody is hearing? Jesus is listening. The Holy Spirit is poised, ready to move. 
God knows everything. Everything. It's so simple to say that. But so hard to comprehend the depth of that. In the School of Theology this semester, we're studying the attributes of God. And uh, one of the attributes of God is he's omniscient. He knows everything. And there's a little book by A.W. Tozier, if you're familiar with him, in which he takes the different attributes and just tries to, to take them and go at them from different directions and meditations and comparisons and so forth to help us try to break down the simplicity of the statement into the complexity and magnitude of the reality of the attribute. What it really means for God to be omniscient in terms of us personally. And he doesn't, he, it's, it's kind of interesting by the way, he's an untrained man, he, tr he taught himself, and he became known in the writing world by what he wrote. I don't think he had any formal degrees at all. But I'd like to use a sample of his writing to, to communicate to you maybe a little bit more clearly what it means that God sees everything. As you look at this verse right here, first of all, it says, and to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. I just think that phrase, the eyes of him with whom we have to do, is very interesting. It could say, unto the eyes of God. But it says, to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He is the one, and the only one, that we have to do with. He is the only one that we are accountable to. He is the only one that we are responsible for. In fact, he's the only one. He's the only one. And his eyes see everything. Tozer writes that God knows each person through and through can be a cause of shaking fear to the man that has something to hide. Some for unforsaken sin. Some secret crime committed against man or God. The unblessed soul may well tremble. That God knows the flimsiness of every pretext and never accepts the poor excuses given for sinful conduct since he knows perfectly the real reason for it. It is written, Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. How frightful a thing to see the sons of Adam seeking to hide among the trees of another garden. But where shall they hide? It is written, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me. Even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The faith to experience the New Testament Sabbath rest must be genuine, not pretentious. I'd like you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a time of meditation. I made a couple of phone calls yesterday and they said, uh, your call may be monitored for training purposes. Your thoughts are being monitored for God's purposes right now. 
Are you transparent with God? can't help but be transparent with God because he already knows everything about you. Your motives for thinking what you think. Father in heaven, pierce to our souls, pierce to our hearts, pierce to the deceitfulness of our hearts that are wicked, that we often cannot discern between the right and the wrong. And cut a clean cut, Lord. And make us bleed. That we might realize the price that you paid to bring about the New Testament Sabbath rest for us. Dear Spirit of God, speak to each one. Move us. Bring us out from the multitudes and in following what is all about us that seems to be proper when we really need to just respond to you. Help us to cry out to you, Lord. Perhaps in the midst of a hypocrisy that we've harbored for so long that we're embarrassed even to admit it to you. Oh, Lord, develop in us this tremendous rest, this faith that, that enters us into this tremendous rest where we are stable in you, committed to you, confident in you, willing to take on whatever you may bring our way for you in the yoke, in our relationship to you, in every aspect of our spiritual person. Oh, Lord, grow our faith. So that no matter what the circumstances, we will celebrate you, our God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Joel, would you come?